Welcome everybody to Hodlers episode 10. We're here today with Jan. He's an on-chain Bitcoin analyst for Quantum Economics, uh, Bitcoin research and data analysis. Jan, do you want to give yourself a bit of an introduction for the people listening right now? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, oh, good. Yeah, my name is Jan. Um, I'm from Germany. Um, maybe some of my background uh, first. So I'm an economist uh, doing currently my PhD here in Germany. Um, and more or less around the same time, a bit earlier, I discovered Bitcoin uh, and cryptocurrencies in 2017, somewhere around June, July. Um, went quickly went down the rabbit hole and um, um, yeah, also invested in altcoins. Um, nowadays, I'm, I'm more um, into Bitcoin than altcoins myself. Um, so yeah, so if if you have questions or comments, then um, it's going to be more about Bitcoin than <laughs> that's all good. We'll happily get into Bitcoin. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to start off with more of like your journey and how you first got into the space. Like general economics and like um, crypto, how did you first get into it? Do you have a background in economics from like college or anything? Um, yeah, so I, I basically started in my bachelor. I studied economics and then went on to also study economics in my master. Um, and then got also really interested in doing research. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up in doing a PhD as well. And then how did that transfer over to the crypto like Bitcoin space? So initially, um, not so much because I'm like at a chair doing um, research related to international economics, so mm -hmm. trade, etc., and then particularly focused on developing countries, which is also more my original back or my, my original research that I'm doing. So it's more how does globalization affect uh, the industry sector in developing countries. So oh, wow, okay. Um, competitive like pressure competition from China um, how does that affect um, developing countries um, sounds like a bit of an interesting job compared to me sat here I'm a PC all day <laughs> yeah that sounds fun yeah, but, but um, after one year because some of my projects didn't go so well um, mm -hmm. so I didn't get any results for my research um, I also decided to to basically do some research on, on Bitcoin and um, talk to other PhDs um, more in the finance finance area. Um, so now I'm half doing research on international trade and how that affects developing countries. And on the other hand, um, also doing some Bitcoin research related stuff. Very nice, very nice. I had a look into um, the company you work for, Quantum Economics. And uh, me and Tyler were discussing, I didn't know that quantum economics was actually a thing. I just thought it was uh, like the company you worked for. Um, could you sort of give like a, a layman's term description of what quantum economics actually is? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I don't, I personally actually don't really know what quantum economics or um, where it originated for the company quantum economics. Um, yeah, because I had a read and it's like using quantum mathematics to basically like look through the economics of stuff. Sounds um very, very confusing. I guess uh, there you go. That's a new one for you. But yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a confusing one there. But I didn't know that was a thing. I think it's probably more of a niche um, research. Yeah, area. most likely. 
probably also way, way too complicated for normal economists or maybe more for mathematicians. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's really fascinating. Um, nice to meet you, Ian. I'm the NFT dad. Um, I'm really into NFTs and uh, got into the uh, crypto space largely um, out of an interest in purchasing NFTs. So very much interested in, in the Ethereum blockchain. But prior to that, um, was you know found some interest in Bitcoin and its store of value and some of the concepts that were floating around um, you know, about five years ago in comparison to gold and and uh, other more stable investments and you know the fact that there's a supply and demand concept with bitcoin with there's what's only 21,000 how many total coins that'll be released over the next few years i thought it was a really fascinating concept that was my first thoughts on crypto what were your what was that sort of initial piece where you where you were i i guess you you told us just a moment ago you were studying economics you're in school doing your thing was there a specific um piece about bitcoin itself that you fell in love with that you thought was very interesting something that like as you described made you jump down that rabbit hole that so many of us have gone down and never really come out of i think uh, probably didn't really get it right away so it was more like all this fascinating stuff uh, about bitcoin and then um at that time also more about the possibilities of um what in general cryptocurrencies could have for um the economy etc um but what more and more over time made it click for me was also the um cap of 21 million one million bitcoin and that it is actually um a truly scarce asset so to say um and that's where it made click at some point for me that this is really um something um yeah which has a future and which is very interesting um in times of um yeah what central banks are doing in particular and um, yeah so yeah, this is the question so many people you know ask and and of course there's the you know the people that are sort of thinking cryptocurrencies in general are you know not of value including bitcoin are you know what would you say to those folks out there that are you know called bitcoin going to zero like just being worthless being worth nothing what, what's your thoughts on that so generally i would like tell them like yeah that basically we never had a currency which is actually limited to 21 million uh, or i mean the 21 million in itself doesn't matter so it could have been 10 million 100 million but that it's simply um limited and you like by design it's decentralized so it's hard to actually or the intent incentives are as such that um you wouldn't really expect it to change like uh, that someone or like everyone would all of a sudden say let's increase it to 30 million bitcoin so basically um something yeah where where we can expect that it's not going to be more than 21 million and um then also its features that um, essentially it's decentralized and once you hold your own like your bitcoin uh, on your private on your wallet um, no one can really access it or prevent you from sending it to someone else on the other side of the world um, because i think that's that's pretty remarkable uh, feature for bitcoin um, maybe also other cryptocurrencies um, 
which you don't have if you want to send your, for example, I'm from Germany, so we have Euro, if you want to send your Euros uh, to someone on the other side of the world, um, it may be very difficult to get it there, um, like within a couple of minutes or within an hour. Um, and sometimes it may be even pre prevented by politicians um, because you might be sending it to someone where the bank is saying, no, you're not allowed to send it there. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think, you know, hearing you describe that, you know, I've, I've been at a few dinner parties, I'm sure you have too, both of you, where people like ask you, you know, they don't really know, they don't know what they don't know. And then they ask you about, you know, uh, why it's actually of value. And you sort of go through these, you know, points, key being it's decentralized, you know, you can move money very quickly. There's not this sort of global throttling at different, you know, levels where to move a million dollars into someone's account, fiat would take, you know, can take weeks and sometimes longer, depending on which financial institution you're using. And then you get into, you know, this idea that there's a supply and demand piece. And, you know, it's like gold, you know, if you want to put your money in there, the, it'll, the price of gold will go up and down based on people that want to store their money there. And if people want to take their money out, you know, the price will go down. So a fairly, uh, I guess, somewhat predictable, stable metric for a store of value. But what I'm finding really interesting is um, financial institutions and, and by the way, folks, you can, if you're listening to this, you can jump over to uh, Jan Wustenfeld's Medium. He's got an excellent uh, um, uh, blog, basically, where he, he posts regularly, where you can read through a lot of his thoughts and ideas, predictions, um, and uh, some of his, his research about Bitcoin there. And I've, I've read a few of your articles, very well written, by the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the pieces better, that I find um, really... Yeah, uh, go ahead, jump in. Yeah, I better check out my newsletter there, because... Yeah. More recently, I've been um, uh, sending out more articles on my newsletter than on Medium. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so we'll make sure we, we include your newsletter. So they can basically just, uh, throw, people can just pop their email address in and join your newsletter. Okay, so I'm, I'm sending it out twice uh, every two weeks uh, on Tuesday. Um, I'm sending out right. newsletter. So the thank you. So folks, go ahead, do that. I'm, I'll do that as well after this because it's just great uh, intel to really round out your analysis of where to, you know, where you're investing. Not financial advice, um, but also uh, what, what I've been noticing is folks uh, talking a little bit about governments, Bitcoin in particular. I forget the name of the the company. They tried to sort of vet people before they would buy their Bitcoin and try to sort of. Uh, create channels where they could see where your money was coming from and, and, and stop folks from maybe from Iran or other institutions that are, you know, if there's an embargo or some sort of, a, you know, a, you know, maybe Russia and stop them from putting their buying Bitcoin through their, um, through their channels. And it didn't work like pretty quickly. They were like, no, we can't do that. It's like, they're just losing out of the gates. Do you have any uh, thoughts on, um, you know, how to sort of, manage people accessing bitcoin when we have these global sanctions that are out there where we're trying to basically prevent some bad actors i guess from moving money around so easily what are your thoughts on so i mean i've said it's easy to send around without anyone stopping you but um generally if, if you have sanctioned countries and then uh, people are sending money towards someone um like maybe in in a country that is not sanctions, um, um, it, it gets like for for normal people that might be 
possible, but once it involves companies, uh, legal entities, it gets very difficult because in the end you have, um, if, if you're a Western company and want to send money uh, to a sanctionized country, um, uh, basically that would be a criminal act, sending it even if it's possible via Bitcoin. And um, so uh, for a private person, it might be possible um, to do so. Um, as long as you um, take certain steps to stay anonymous, which is also by the nature of Bitcoin not very easy, uh, I would say, um, because as soon as you buy on an exchange, um, very quickly the coins are connected to your name. Um, yeah, so uh, it, it might be used more for that in the future, but I think right now it's it's uh, with it's, well, it's it's getting a bit more difficult with more and more regulation coming in to avoid sanctions with Bitcoin and with all these regulations and um, with the European Union and also other governments proposing stricter anti-money laundering laws, uh, know your customer rules. Um, I think yeah, it's it's getting more and more difficult to an anonymously buy Bitcoin. Um, peer-to-peer -peer or via an exchange because more and more exchanges are getting regulated and yeah cool mm -hmm. yeah um on with bitcoin and pushing more on bitcoin um can you give us like a bit of an explanation on like what makes bitcoin different to the rest what's like unique about about bitcoin that like can't be copied because obviously there's an insane amount of crypto coins and um obviously there's more more and more utilities popping up every day what makes Bitcoin different to all the others? So first of all, I would say it's time. So Bitcoin had, has had a, had a head start of um, all cryptocurrencies. So um, the network effects um, had more time to grow. Um, user base had more time to grow than for other currencies. Uh, but for me, the strongest argument for Bitcoin and against other currencies um, is basically that we have this have these anonymous founder or group Satoshi Nakamoto where no one really knows um, who has it been who like is it a person a group um, I, I mean there's some theories out there but no one really knows who is Satoshi Nakamoto so um, in my mind that is the biggest um, plus point for Bitcoin because we don't have this central point um, of failure or this one person that has a lot of influence on uh, where the network is going um, so um, yeah that's where where i think bitcoin is um, the clear winner against other currencies uh, that came later where very often you have um, a founder like for ethereum vitalik uh, buterin um, or a bigger team behind that that are basically um that have that's like have a lot of influence on where uh, the project is going yeah um do you do you keep track of any other any other cryptos like i know you said you're investing in a few altcoins is there any projects or any new crypto that you see that you have um your eyes on at the minute that have big potential mm, not really um so i know i i'm i'm like in 2017, I've been invested in some altcoins, but now I'm not really watching 
um, the altcoin space too much anymore. So I'm more focused on Bitcoin and spending my time on researching what is going on in the Bitcoin space. Um, there's, I, I mean, already in Bitcoin, there's so much going on. That, that's very true. Yeah, there's a lot to keep up on. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm, why I'm focusing on Bitcoin and not so much on other coins. Um, so I can't comment too much on what is going on. For for example, with the Ethereum merge, etc. Um, I have some opinion, but not really a founded opinion on what's going on. So, yeah. Do you think um, Bitcoin will always remain the number one uh, crypto, like by market cap and by like popularity, or will there will there be like another coin that takes its place? It's uh, hard to say. So, most like I'm more in the camp where I would say yes, it will remain in number one in the space. Mm -hmm. um, also, when it comes to market cap. Um, but when it comes to hype cycles and user growth, um, it's it's also hard to rule out that some other currency, um, at least in the short term, could overtake Bitcoin for some time. Um, but I, I would say it's more likely that Bitcoin will stay on top. Um, yeah, just in my opinion. Nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about. Um you know, the, the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and, and, and crypto and the influence that larger, let's say like Elon Musk or somebody that buys a large um, volume of, um, of, of Bitcoin. Is that evidence, you know, with one tweet, you know, he can influence markets, um, including Bitcoin markets. How could you talk a little bit about how that influences our belief in Bitcoin being truly decentralized, um, or are we just seeing a new definition of shifting power? Uh, when people have enough of something, uh, it's still a person, right? And, and, and I appreciate your point about Bitcoin being, you know, it's very interesting. It's it's it's, it's a mythical. This uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is a mythical being, person, entity, um, whereas the coins that have followed, are, it's all like a person or a group of people that you can kind of focus on. You can ascribe qualities, you know, human-like qualities, but to Bitcoin, we, we can't really do that um, in the same way. So does that feed into its decentralized nature? I'd like to like you to speak, you know, about your, maybe on a bit of a high-level perspective about the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and how people that own a lot of it can influence its value. Uh I mean, it's it's true if you own a lot or if you're Elon Musk and if you're tweeting about Bitcoin or um, even Dogecoin, you can just like send the price up or down. Um, but to my mind, that's also natural. Um, I, I mean, we are very we are still very early in the space. It's like uh, um, the whole crypto space is still very small compared to um, all the other assets we have out there on the financial markets. Um, so particularly when it comes to uh, price, um, it's still very easy for some bigger entities um, to influence price um, up or down. Um, but I would say it's like it's it's natural because it's still a small asset and it has to grow before it gets harder for certain personalities, entities to influence Bitcoin's price or Ethereum's price, Dogecoin's price, whatever. Um, but 
as, as you mentioned, Elon Musk, I've also found it interesting if you look at when he started tweeting about Bitcoin or um, other cryptocurrencies, the effect was very large on, on the price. So um, you had huge fluctuations in price when he tweeted something positive or negative about a currency. But the more he started tweeting about these currencies, um, yeah, the, the lower the effect at some point was percentage-wise. So um, maybe in the short term, um, someone like Elon Musk has an effect. Um, but at least we are seeing that the effect um, is getting lower over time, or at least that's my impression, or that's what I would also expect that over time um, the influence of these guys will diminish. So the so what you're saying is the the influence of people with power sort of speaking to that dynamic between decentralization and sort of the idea of um, sort of communities influencing prices uh, through purchasing power versus you know a one popular person that bandwidth will gradually decrease because that's just kind of that first shock. Oh my gosh, this person who owns so much of this says something. The media picks up on it. They get crazy about it. Everyone sort of rushes to buy, but that can only happen a few times before the um, that influence becomes more flatlined. But that's interesting, and I think you're right on that. Um, I would yeah, go ahead. Also say even even if these guys have an influence on price, um, they don't. In the end, they don't really have any influence on the properties of Bitcoin or um, whatever currency you want to talk about because they personally can't change the protocol. Yes, they might say, for example, Bitcoin has to become greener um, or they might lobby um, to shut down Bitcoin miners in certain countries. Um, but ultimately, um, I would say they don't have the power to change the protocol. And that's to my mind more important um, that these guys don't have an influence on um, whether we are changing the hard cap of Bitcoin or not, for example. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, you're in Sweden, I'm in Canada. Um, and I know, you, you know how you get your energy in Sweden might be a little bit different, certainly in certain parts of Canada. Canada's massive. And there is a, a fair amount of Bitcoin mining operations here that are, you know, basically fully green. Um, they're, they're using um, hydro power or solar or various um, green energy to power their plants that are, um, you know, building, creating the coin. So are there a lot of Bitcoin miners in Germany? Um, not really, because yeah. we have very high energy prices, um, electricity prices. So, um, so yeah, for Germany anyway, it's, I would say it's not a big topic. So we have some Bitcoin miners here, but. I think basically it's just hardcore Bitcoiners um, <laughs> who want to get uh, know your customer free Bitcoin. So they are basically willing to pay more than on, on the market to get Bitcoin where no one really, right, right, no one can tell that these are their Bitcoin because, um, yeah, they are the first to get them and they're not attached to some um, exchange, etc. Um, got it. Got it. So we're going to jump over to just talking about cashless societies and effects on economies. And you mentioned a little bit in your research how, um, you know, you, you've studied, uh, you know, emerging economies and, and uh, you know, folks that are in certain countries that are, you know, struggling economically and how people are actually pulling themselves out of 
you know, a really tough spot economically by buying uh, Bitcoin and using that to start their businesses because they're, you know, not as in influenced by inflation or oppressive governments. What are your thoughts about, um, you know, sort of where we're headed in terms of cashless societies and, and moving into using, um, employing Bitcoin currencies um, to help uh, economic uh, situations for, for folks that are struggling? So generally, I would say cashless societies are growing more and more. Um, maybe we in Europe or in the US, we don't have so much mobile money yet. But um, if, if you look at Africa, um, that's where mobile money is coming from. So um, there are already the cashless societies growing more and more. Um, and the ease of use of these uh, cashless currencies were via for example, mobile phones in Kenya um, is getting, yeah, it's, it's very easy for them. Um, but of course, depending on uh, which developing country you look at, um, you have rather high inflation numbers. And that's then where cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin or stable coins um, come into play. Um, because if, if you live in a country that has, I don't know, for example, 60 to 80% inflation, and then all of a sudden, maybe also fluctuations in Bitcoin price fluctuations um, are not as unattractive anymore because it may be still better than a currency that is guaranteed to lose 80% in value um, over one year. Um, so there I see cryptocurrencies really growing in importance um, like Bitcoin, but also stable coins in particular because um, Particularly if, if you're one of the poorer people, it's it's hard to save in Bitcoin because, as I said, you still have these price fluctuations. Um, so you might prefer to get your hands onto on a US dollar stablecoin, for example, because the US dollar is um, even if on Twitter we we are criticizing the US dollar and might say it's a shit coin or something. <laughs> it's still much better than some of the local currencies they have, and it's much better in keeping value. Um, and it doesn't have the fluctuations of Bitcoin. Um, so, of course, you still have this counterparty risk in stable coins where you don't know if it is really backed um, by US dollars one by one. Um, but I would particularly see uh, it in developing countries to take more, uh, gain more food um, that Bitcoin, stable co coins, etc. Will, will gain more and more importance. And we are already seeing that, seeing that if you look at, for example, Nigeria, where cryptocurrency adoption is um, higher than in, in developed countries, for example. Yeah, mm -hmm. very cool. I know there's a, a Canadian company called Leaden um, that uh, will do uh, Bitcoin loans, basically, um, and it goes as low as $500. And that's particularly for folks in countries where they would like some startup capital for a small business. Uh, and if they have some Bitcoin, they can, they can um, you know, leverage that to, have a, to get a loan, basically, for more uh, cash so that they can move around and start businesses. Uh, outside of you know any crazy inflationary issues happening with their native uh, currencies, which I thought was pretty cool. Which is really cool. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Switching up again. Um. We're going to talk about like the media and how they basically portray crypto. Um. 
what do you think of that like how just the mainstream media all these uh news sources how how are they like portraying uh like the crypto and general economics and how much of the info is actually real and how much is distorted what's your opinion on that i think i would say the majority is still distorted or a lot of media uh, articles uh, etc are still very negative on crypto or bitcoin mm. um, etc um, but my impression is uh, it is also improving or slowly improving like there's more journalists that um, over time get interested in how it actually works and um, to to not only report um, the negatives or the seemingly negatives of, for example, Bitcoin is, is spoiling the oceans, um, which is a <laughs> uh, very common narrative in, in media. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm seeing more journalists um, actually being interested in um, getting down to the bottom and learning more about what, what it is, um, why it might not be uh, that bad as it is portrayed in the media um but still it plays a very big role the negative press on bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies it was the same as like the internet area at first everyone was calling it rubbish and blah blah, blah. it's not going to work but i feel like all these reports and journalists have finally understood that crypto isn't just going to disappear off like just from a few like negative comments it's not just going to disappear so i think they're sort of just actually bracing themselves and actually getting used to it um, and actually starting to understand it rather than just trying to throw these like random claims and trying to bring all this negative press to it like all this negative press like the amount of negativity that's gone towards like the crypto space in the past like two years and it's still i mean right now it's not doing too good we won't talk about that but um it's still doing really well um and it's not going anywhere but yeah talking about that and all the negative press and um stuff um inflation is very high interest is very high um what's your thoughts on um a recession a potential recession like i'm pretty sure inflation was the highest in um 40 years interest has been highest in again 40 years that's for us uk i'm not too sure about germany i'm guessing it is also very high in germany but what's your thoughts yeah. on a potential recession coming looking at the us um i mean there's this has been this huge debate on twitter um is, is the white house um shifting uh what is a recession um what is the right definition um i i don't really want to go too much into the, the definitions but um yeah for sure i th i think uh there's a risk of um the economy sliding into recession um rising unemployment mm -hmm. um yeah particularly now that the federal reserve has been um hard on the brakes um at least until now um so um i'm i would wouldn't be surprised if we see a recession or um more negative gdp growth we have already seen two quarters of negative gdp growth um but that we will also see unemployment numbers go up um and generally economic numbers um worsen um but besides uh, negative GDP growth, uh, their most economic numbers are still at least uh, not as negative or even looking good right now. Um, so do you think um, if we were to predict 
you know, let's say you're to predict, and I know, you know, you're not giving financial advice and, and, you know, predictions are just that they're just sort of a, uh, an, an analysis of the past and where you think things are now, and then making it your best guess on the future. Let's say like we're, we're like in the eye of the storm, like, and we're headed towards a, like not even a recession, but a depression, massive, you know, collapse of the financial institutions that as, as we know it today, what's your like two questions, you know, do you, do you believe like that's a possibility and, you know, talk about that. And then what I'm maybe more interested in hearing about is um, how you feel Bitcoin would fare if there was like a larger sort of either really played out recession um, with unemployment, kind of a, a worst case scenario. How would you see Bitcoin playing out? Do you have any predictions on on how uh, a coin, um, you know, is uh, developed and sort of first to the sort of the oldest sort of Bitcoin out, the oldest coin out there would, would behave uh, during perhaps a, a more uh, difficult financial, you know, maybe a year from now, and it's really bad. Do you see, what do you see Bitcoin doing? Any predictions on that? So on your first question, um, I'm definitely seeing unemployment rising in the US. Um, if uh, the central bank doesn't reverse course um, and starts cutting rates, um, and I'm more in the camp, which is saying, um, they will still continue to raise rates because inflation is high right now. Um, and obviously employment, unemployment is um, low at the moment in, in the US, but um, if they do that at some point, um, usually unemployment is lagging. It's a lagging indicator, so it takes time for um, these measures to um, come through to the labor market. And um, yeah, I'm my expectation is that unemployment will um, rise in the coming months. Um, I think we are already seeing it a bit in the data um, that unemployment claims are starting to go up, but not as um, growing now as um, it could be. Um, yeah, so uh, we're going into a very difficult time um, for central banks, but also for the economy and for um, all the people um, that have to suffer suffer under these um, shocks or negative conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so your second question was when? Yeah, what so, let's, so let's, yeah, let's play it out a little bit. And we're, you know, what you've just sort of predicted, and I agree with you, you know, that we are going to see unemployment rising as a lagging indicator and that um, we've got some got some rocky stuff ahead of us for the central banks how what's your what's your sort of prediction on how bitcoin will perform do you think that it'll sort of match and go down and up together or do you think bitcoin might separate out and be like it's a bit of a safe haven uh people are able to you know access this and without sort of the restriction of borders and so on so i would say it depends more than on how the central banks react to this economic downturn um because Generally, if, if we look over the last um, year or last month, um, and when we go back to uh, so to the media, um, uh, many people claimed victory and said now now even the narrative of a safe haven asset for Bitcoin um, or yeah Bitcoin performing well in crisis times uh, even that is destroyed now. So um, um, yeah, basically just 
negative economic developments are not what drives Bitcoin price, um, but it's more about what is, what the central banks are doing. So, um, mm. if if you look at um, the money supply growth in the United States, um, it's it's tracking very closely since 2020. Also, the um, price growth of uh, Bitcoin. Um, if you look at um, the price change from one year ago um, and compare that to the price change of um, uh, on the change of the money supply from one year ago. So when money supply started picking up very fast in the United States, also Bitcoin price, the price went up. So mm -hmm. and then uh, once money supply growth started to slow and then even turn down, um, we're seeing also Bitcoin prices turning down um, or at least not growing at fast anymore that fast anymore. So it's more about whether the central banks are injecting more liquidity into the markets or not. And if econo economic conditions really worsen, um, then it's then it puts and inflation is still high. That puts central banks in a very tough spot. Um, and then the question is, what will central banks do? Will they fight inflation or will they? Add to the economic downturn, and um, if it's just a little bit like now, two negative quarters of GDP growth, um, and unemployment is still doing is still low, like in the US, um, I see no reason for them to um, turn on monetary policy. But yeah, if if we see also um, unemployment shoot shoot up at some point, um, even like if theoretically we're assuming now um, inflation is still relatively high, um, mm -hmm. um, my expectation would be that at some point they can't um, tighten anymore, but at least they have to stop tightening or even start uh, lowering interest rates. Um, so mm -hmm. um, because otherwise, as you said, we would end up in a depression. Uh, and I don't think depression is something to favor over inflation <laughs> yeah yeah at least, agree. At least, agree. Uh, i'm pretty sure central banks will favor at least higher inflation numbers over uh, depression in, in the united states yeah absolutely i agree with you yeah yeah awesome calling off with our last question now um this is basically a question that we ask all the people all the guests um a bit of a fun one really not really um more um economics based or bitcoin based but um if you could go in back in time to when you first started your journey in economics and crypto what is one thing or piece of advice it could be anything that you would have given yourself i would say do more research um uh, select what you do or um start start out with bitcoin and um afterwards decide whether you still want to invest into other projects yes or no and do more research um yeah that's what i would tell myself because yeah when i started i started investing in all sorts of projects and basically burned a lot of money and didn't um, <laughs> work not as, pro not as prof profitable as it could have been and yeah yeah, very that's, nice. That's, that's really interesting advice. I think uh, that's that resonates with me uh, because I certainly like got my trading account and bought like everything, you know, ten different <laughs> coins, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna play play the spread, 
including, you know, regular like ETFs and regular financial market. And, and I got just hammered. So you'd go back in time, you'd tell yourself, choose a horse, pick one, research that one, be, be really laser focused on that. Um, and then, you know, rather than playing sort of a, a broader spread, that's interesting. That's good advice. I like it. Well, yeah. Thank you, Jan, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, hope you had a good time. We'll put all your Twitter links, your newsletter links, your Medium link all in the bio so people can check that out. But yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm, um, thank you. Pleasure to meet you, Ian. Yeah, nice to meet you too. And thanks for inviting me. Of course.